This is Young Lawyer Rising from the ABA Young Lawyers Division and Legal Talk Network. Welcome back, listeners. I'm your host, Montana Funk. Today, Richard Rivera joins us to discuss how to manage burnout, taking care of yourself within and outside of the workplace, and resources our listeners can turn to for help and guidance. Richard is a partner in the litigation and intellectual property practices of Smith, Gambrill, and Russell LLP, as well as the current vice chair and incoming chair of the Florida Bar Mental Wellness Committee. I'm so excited for you all to hear our conversation. Good afternoon, Richard. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Montana. Pleasure to be here. So I'm really excited to talk about, you know, the topics we're going to discuss, mental health, wellness, kind of managing burnout, et cetera. You and I had had a discussion before jumping on here today just about, you know, the importance of it. And I think how sometimes our wellness can kind of get lost in how much we want to work. And, you know, like we discussed before, you know, the pride that we have when we work really hard, which is great, but you know how it's kind of easy sometimes to lose ourselves in that process. So I'm really grateful you're jumping on today to discuss that. And I kind of want to give our listeners a bit of a background. I know you've had a personal experience that really, you know, made you passionate about this topic. Um, And if you're comfortable, I would like you to share kind of with our listeners what that personal experience was that got you where you are today. Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I was a fourth year associate in a heavy litigation practice, doing a lot of class action defense, uh, representing financial services companies, uh, mostly federal court. And I always said yes to everything, right? Um, The new case came in, the new project came in. Uh, I was, yes, sir, right away, sir. Uh, I would be happy to, to participate in that and get on that. You know, I, I took took pride in that and got to see a lot of different issues and areas, but I was starting to suffer, and I could see that I was suffering. Yeah, you know, my skin was yellowed. Uh, I was itchy all the time. I wasn't sleeping well. I, I had uh, fatigue through the day. And my wife had told me, uh, "You need to go to a doctor and get that checked out." And I said, "Nonsense! This is just..." working a lot and being stressed and sometimes I don't sleep so well. And so this, you know, this will pass eventually when things kind of slow down. Well, things didn't pass. Uh, It persisted until finally I went in to get a blood test for a insurance policy. And they called me back about a week later and said, you're denied. Uh, We're not going to cover you. Also, I'm not a doctor but I'm faxing you your lab results. There's something circled. You need to go take this to a doctor today. So fast forward after uh, a couple of weeks and months of uncertainty, it turned out I had end-stage liver disease um, and a particular variety of it called primary sclerosing cholangitis or PSC. Uh, But basically it's an autoimmune disease that is exacerbated by stress. And it's genetic and, and, you know, there are other risk factors that that led to me having it. But it turns out all those symptoms weren't just normal and normal life of practicing law, right? There was actually something very wrong with me. It's really interesting you say that. And I know when we talked before, I really am sorry you, you know, went through that. And obviously it's still 
you're still going through it, right? It's something that impacts your life. So I, I commend you for getting on here and talking about that. Cause I think it's really interesting. Like you said, your wife was encouraging you to go to the doctors, but it's easy to dismiss and be like, no, it's just work. I'm just stressed. And it's funny because I was reading, um, I don't know if you know, Uber facts. It's like a website that has really, yeah, you know it. So I was reading some of them last night and one of them said that higher stress can actually lead to health issues. And I think it's really easy to turn a blind eye to that, right? Like to just be like, yeah, tired, you know, maybe I'm not hungry, things like that. But you actually experienced something life-threatening from stress. And I'm curious to hear from you, did you have, besides obviously the symptoms, any idea that like, hey, the amount of stress I'm facing right now is actually causing me health issues or not at all? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> I, I definitely did not think that there was something life-threatening, uh, going on, which, uh, in fact it was really, it was, you know, I had the thought I'm a young associate. This is a rite of passage. Everyone who excels in the practice of law has to put in long hours, has to go through stressful situations. And it's a, it's temporary, right? You think Mm -hmm. one day I'll make partner and I won't be under such stress. So no, I didn't know. I didn't realize that what I was going through was not normal at all as far as how uh, things were materializing in my body. No, absolutely. And how did it change your perspective on work? Obviously, you're a partner now. So how did it change? I know, I know you said, oh, when I'm a partner, I won't be this stressed. Well, twofold <laughs> question, I guess. One, is that true? Because I could assume it probably isn't or maybe in a different way. And two, what did you do to really change, you know, how you were treating your body? So since it was a twofold question. <laughs> yeah. I think if I hadn't changed anything, if I had continued in the way that I was going, things wouldn't have changed when I became a partner. Uh, Mm -hmm. I would have been working as hard, stressing as much or more. There are different stresses that come in when you become a partner. In addition to the stress you have of doing the work as you do as an associate, you have the stress of client contact and client happiness and a lot of other things that come into play. But that wasn't what I wanted in my life. So after being on a liver transplant list for about a year and a half, I I did get my transplant. And with that came a uh, involuntary six-week vacation, right? (laughs) Where Mm -hmm. um, I'm not allowed to work for six weeks. And so coming back from that, I had restrictions put on what I could do when I came back from my doctors for a temporary period of time. And so there was kind of that forced reset. Six weeks, you don't, you're not allowed to do any work. I was on pain medication. That would be unethical for me to work on, uh, among other things. And then even when you come back, you've got to, you got to take things slow. And so with that forced reset, I was able to kind of take a step back and say, wow, the way I was living and working is just not sustainable. You know, even if this thing hadn't happened to me, something else would, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, our profession has a very high incident rate of depression, of substance abuse. Uh, you know, it it presents in some way, whether it's yeah. a physical uh, harm or something else. And so I knew it wasn't sustainable, 
And so that made me take a look at how I was living and starting to basically put in some boundaries was my main thing for me was I wanted to set times that I wasn't going to start working before, times I wasn't going to work past, making sure I had at least a one day on a weekend to not do any work, making sure I was doing the things that, you know, help give me life and, and recharge me. And it was also about this time that uh, I got involved with the mental health and wellness committee of the Florida bar. Okay. After kind of seeing, you know, how bad things could get. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and how, you know, I didn't think I was the only one that needed a change. You know, I think that the practice of law really needs to change as far as what people's expectations are and people's practices and behaviors in it. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's so important to have this conversation today so that our listeners don't have to get to that point, right, where it's too late before they're like, okay, now I need to change. And I think that, you know, we're talking about stress and I think something important for our listeners to know, and I think that you could really be good to touch on here is obviously there's going to be times in our career where we're stressed and it's going to be normal. It's just the nature of, you know, being an attorney. But knowing the difference between when it's normal stress versus when it's burnout or when it's too far, right? And how to kind of differentiate between the two. So if you wouldn't mind touching on that, I think that's something really important that maybe a lot of people don't know how to differentiate. Sure. And and I'll echo something that uh, that insurance company told me. I'm not a doctor. I have no mental health training. Uh, You know, my views and perspectives on this are based basically on my own experiences, Mm -hmm. as well as some of the work of the the Mental Health and Wellness Committee. There are two types of stress, right? There's distress and eustress. And eustress being that stress, which is beneficial, it's helpful. You know, if you go to the gym, right, and you're lifting weights, you're stressing the muscle, that's eustress because you're doing it for a good reason and it's going to lead to growth. Well, that's the same thing with, with the practice of law, right? There's a lot of trials, uh, forgive the pun, and tribulations that we go through as as attorneys that stress us in a good way. They lead to growth. They lead to learning new skills, being able to take on new challenges. And so that's all good, right? And we want mm-hmm. those experiences. The problem is when we get into distress, right? That's the, the harmful types of stress. And you stress turns into distress when it's going for such a prolonged period of time when you don't have that rest and recovery period for that growth to actually happen. Yeah. Right. It's the same as if you're, if you're lifting weights, trying to build muscle, you have to have rest days because that's when the actual growth happens. And it's the same way with the stress that comes from practicing law, right? You need to have that rest and recovery time. Mm -hmm. I think that that's another thing too, that a lot of us probably don't do enough of. I know you had to have the, you know, forced six weeks vacation, which I could assume and tell me if I'm wrong, that you probably would not take six weeks off ever if you weren't forced (laughs) to do so. So yeah, I mean, taking that, those breaks in between, um, and the difference between the stress, the stressors, I think is really important to notice and kind of differentiate between, is this something that's actually helping me? And am I growing from this or is this necessary and maybe I need to take a step back. Right. And, and we all have deadline imposed stress or a, uh, a trial related stress, right? Where you're going to have yeah. those long days leading into a trial and, and during the actual days of trial, right? Those you know, unfortunately are 
just going to have to be 12, 14 hour days. Yeah. Um, but there has to be some sort of limit on it. Absolutely. No, and I want to talk about the boundaries you were saying you set for yourself and kind of how to put those limits in place. I think that that's something, you know, that maybe people are still trying to figure out or if they're in a stressful situation, don't know like what boundaries are acceptable versus ones that aren't. So let's take a quick break. And then when we get back, let's jump into boundaries, stuff like our listeners can maybe take away from this that will help them prevent the distress portion from coming in. It can be frustrating to wade through the malpractice insurance application process, but you know you need to protect your firm. Alps designed their application to be flexible, easy, and 100% online. Fill it out, review your quote, accept, and pay in as little as 10 minutes. Alps is the nation's largest direct writer of lawyers' malpractice insurance, and they are endorsed by more bar associations than any other carrier, so they understand law firms. They also know how valuable your time is, and that's why they make legal malpractice insurance easy. Visit alpsinsurance.com to learn more. That's A-L-P-S insurance.com. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. Richard, before the break, we were talking about the difference between, you know, establishing boundaries, some things that you've done for yourself to make sure that, you know, your health is on the forefront and you're paying attention to what your body needs. So I think it's important we tell our listeners, you know, maybe some ideas of these boundaries that you've set um, or things that they can do to make sure that they are listening to their body. Probably the most important thing is communication, right? When you're setting boundaries, you have to communicate what those boundaries are and it's kind of a two-way street right what finding out what's an acceptable boundary what's going to work for your work environment if nothing works for your work environment then maybe you need to find a new work environment (laughs) um but yeah so so it starts with that conversation and and having that conversation with the people that you work for if you're in a larger firm yeah that's probably going to be a senior associate or a partner that you're working for uh, in different settings, that can be different people. You might be speaking directly to clients if you're in, you know, in a solo practice, or maybe you're a, a more advanced lawyer. And so, you know, what boundaries do you need is also something for you to consider. For me, I used to work 13-hour days that I would be in the office, you know, 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, just about every day, and. No one told me I had to do that, right, to start with. But then there came to be an expectation that I would be doing that. And so it, it was communicating that, hey, I'm I'm not doing this anymore. This this isn't working for me. You know, 
for me, it was probably an easier conversation to have with the people that I worked with because I had a medical necessity <laughs> for, yeah. these, for these conversations. You know, for people who don't have that medical necessity, you can it can be hard um, to to go in and and to start that conversation. But it's important that you do it because you don't want to get to the point where you have a medical event and there is some life changing thing that happens to you that now requires you to go in and cut back on your work hours or, you know, for, again, for my experience, it was a six week involuntary vacation, right. That we didn't know when it was going to happen. Um, Yeah. And so partners I was working with had no idea when I was just going to be unavailable for a month and a half. Yeah. You know, that's not very conducive <laughs> either. Um, <laughs> yeah, not easy. And so, you know, they don't want to be in that situation either. So having, you know, those conversations early make it, you know, a lot more palatable for that. You know, I have a, I have a colleague whose name I won't use, but he has this anecdote where he likens associates to uh, a machine. And he says... If you had a machine that prints $100 every hour, mm-hmm. why would you ever turn that machine off? Right? And there's a glib response to that and, and the mm-hmm. true response, which is, well, if you don't turn it off every once in a while, it breaks. Right? Yeah. And then it doesn't print any $100 bills. I was going to say, then you have no money. Right. And, yeah. it, and even beyond that, work suffers, work product suffers. You end up writing time off of your associates because they're working too much and, and their work product's not not there. So there is a business case, uh, absolutely, for firms recognizing boundaries and trying to make sure that you get what you need to have a successful career as a young attorney. And I think, too, something that I always think, and maybe I'm I'm still young, obviously, in the legal world, so maybe I'm naive to say this, but the machine example kind of brought this to you know light to me for me again is that at what point are we as attorneys, you know, jeopardizing our relationships with our client or our work product for our clients if we are, you know, on our 14th or 15th hour of the day or 50th or 60th hour of the week? At what point do you, I guess, having I mean, have any insight on this, do you think it becomes an issue of, okay, now we're actually overworking to the point where our work is actually going to suffer more than if we took a break? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, we talk or I, I've spoken on a few CLE panels on on burnout, and a lot of those are ethics CLEs because you know, we have a duty of competence uh, yeah. to a, you know being competent in the work that we do. And as you put in those long hours on end, your competence suffers uh, when you're on that fifteenth, sixteenth hour of your fifth day in a row. You can't tell me that your your work is just as good as if you had been fresh off a good night's sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your mind is is elsewhere and it's exhausted, right? We only have so much glucose really yeah. in, that our brains can use uh, for energy and to think straight. Yeah. So it, it becomes an issue. It becomes an ethical issue. It becomes an issue of just work product suffering, which leads to client dissatisfaction, potentially malpractice claims. Um, mm-hmm. If you miss something and, and slip on on something that you should have caught. Yeah, I think that that's something really important 
to consider, right? Because I know when we talked previously, it was almost like there's this sense of confidence or boastfulness when, especially you're a starting out associate. Uh, I mean, I can speak on personal experience that I would be really excited to say I am 50 hours ahead this month or, you know, just because you're like, look at me, like I, I'm trying to be a top associate. And then you realize okay, but I'm also not sleeping and I'm super stressed out and my mental health is taking a toll. And like you said, at what point it it might become ethical, right? Because you don't want to be doing something or putting down ideas or writing a summary judgment brief where you are on hour 15 of staring at this paper and then you don't know what to write anymore. You're writing something that could lead to malpractice, stuff like that. So I think that that's just really important for people to consider because it is something that's not really talked about enough. I personally don't think so. 100%. I mean, so many of us view it as a badge of honor or rites of passage to be super busy. When people used to ask me how I was doing, my my response was always busy, right? Mm-hmm. And said it with kind of a smile and, you know, I, I'm busy, uh, you know, I must be doing it right, right? People want to keep giving me work. Yeah. But it, it takes a toll um, and it shouldn't be a badge of honor. No. And unfortunately, that's, you know, an attitude change that needs to in my opinion, come to the practice of law as a whole. I agree. And something that obviously I want to make sure our listeners have is we've talked about these ideas, you know, of how to prevent burnout. And something that I'm personally trying to do is not check my email all the time. I have it on my phone and I'm sure you do it too. We're on the weekend. You're constantly refreshing to see if you have new emails. So that's a personal goal for me, right? Is don't check my emails on the weekend or don't have to have (laughs) notifications on my phone. But do you have any other specific examples of how to actually get yourself, you know, offline in the sense of, you know, after hours or the weekend to actually help our listeners take away time for themselves? Sure. So you you just raised a couple of good ones, which is having notifications turned off, Mm -hmm. taking, you know, if you have an iPhone, you can set it to not automatically fetch new messages where you have to actually tell it to go and retrieve messages for you. I did not Uh, know that. Yes. uh, I, I learned that uh, while I was on the transplant list and uh, it it made my life infinitely better when I didn't hear the constant buzz of, (laughs) uh, of a new email. The traumatic notification coming in. That's right. (laughs) Uh, So those are two great uh, electronic steps to take, you know, Not bringing your phone with you everywhere is also freeing um, in a sense. And at first it it will probably cause, you know, that FOMO sense Mm -hmm. and and the stress of that, but you will learn to appreciate it. And that time that you're away, Um, there is something, a movement called uh, Nope Days. Okay. Which is no phone, no email days. Where, yeah, I'm going to put my phone away on a Saturday. And I'm yeah. going to go out and I'm going to go hiking. You know, people play with their kids, you know, go to sporting events and everything that they're doing, they're just not using their phone and they're mm-hmm. not looking at their phone or checking their email. And again, it starts with a little, with some stress of doing it, but, uh, you know, eventually it, it comes to uh, be something that you look forward to. Uh, it's something that I look forward to doing <laughs> whenever yeah. I can. 
I have a question as a partner now, do you think there's anything that you have from that perspective to tell other partners or maybe other people who are higher up at firms how they can help younger associates as well as themselves um, also, you know, be offline? Like anything that you would consider telling a younger associate or doing as a partner that would show these individuals and these new attorneys that it is okay to take these breaks? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing that can be helpful is putting a note in an email, right? Because we all we all work at different hours uh, mm-hmm. and there's just different pockets of time. And so I might be clearing my email at 7 p.m., 8 p.m. at night on a day and putting a note in that email that you're sending to the associate where you're giving them assignment that just says, this is not something that needs to be done today. This may not need to be something that needs to be done this week. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people have in their signature block basically something to to the effect that there is no expectation that you respond immediately to this email. We all work at different times, right? And that's helpful, right? That's yeah. helpful for, for your associates to see. For me, it's also about having those conversations with, with associates. At my firm, my practice area, you know, one associate might do work for six different partners. And so it's checking in with them. Yeah, how busy are you right now? What all are you working on? Do you have any capacity before I just dump on a new project mm-hmm. or give them something with a really short deadline? You know, it's always about, for me anyway, it's asking those questions so that they don't feel that they have to jump on this new project and giving them the chance basically to tell you the why nots before you make them tell you no. Yeah, absolutely. And I can speak once again from experience on that is all the partners who were like that to me, you know, when I worked private, those were the those were the partners that it was the easiest to go to if I had something going on in my personal life. Right. Or if my mental health was struggling and they come to you and they say, do you have capacity? And you say to them, I you know, I could get this done for you, but I can't promise a quick turnaround. And when they're understanding and respectful of you, that goes a really long way, just as like you said, a simple even email being like, don't spend your whole evening and weekend on this. Like we can talk about it next week. Just those little things really do go such a long way. I I personally think. So it's nice to hear that coming from you as a partner. Well, thank you. And you know, also <laughs> email's bad, right? Tone doesn't come <laughs> across an email. Everything seems like it's, you know, just a very declarative statement. Uh, it's hard to exercise uh, emotional intelligence in mm-hmm. email and make it come off the right way. Yeah. yeah. So much of what I would suggest is having real conversations. Pick up the phone, stop in an associate's office, find out what's going on with them, how they're doing, whether they have that capacity before piling on. Mm -hmm. Or really just bringing them into a case to get more involved and so that they they understand what's happening in the case on, on the whole. And, you know, maybe they can see hey, this thing is going to be coming up in uh, in two months because we have a deadline. And, you know, then they have the opportunity to kind of make sure they hold that space for your project. 
Absolutely. I think it's funny you said the email thing, because I remember when I first started practicing, I would send emails with like a bunch of exclamation marks. And then I was like, no, you can't do that. And I would like text my dad and be like, is two exclamation marks too much? And then like the older partners would send like, okay, dot. And then I would be like, oh gosh, they hate me. This is terrible. And it's like, that's not at all the case. It's just different generations. Right. And email is so hard to tell tone over. So it was just, that just brought that memory up to me. But you know, we've given our listeners ideas, um, personal examples. So something I want to make sure that we cover before we end this episode is actual resources. If you have any for our listeners that they can go to, to get help and guidance. Sure. So most state bars have a lawyer assistance program, uh, which is not just for substance abuse issues. Uh, they are also there for psychological issues, uh, depression, other, you know, anxiety, other mental issues and mental health issues that you may experience in the practice of law. So definitely check to see if you have one of those and what services it provides. Every state bar is a little bit different. Uh, The Louisiana Lawyers Assistance Program is fantastic um, in all the, the scope of what it provides. There are also a lot of state bars that will have uh, like, for example, in Florida and Georgia and a few other states, there is a hotline that you can call and you can get connected basically with a mental health professional uh, for a number of free sessions with that mental health professional. In Florida, it's five every year. So every okay. Florida attorney can call when they're experiencing some mental health issue and can call in and uh, get this referral code. And it's a confidential service. There's no reporting back to the bar that you used it. But this referral code that then gets you five free sessions, basically therapy sessions, which, you know, may may not be enough, right? But it's a start. (laughs) It's something. Absolutely. And then a lot of state bars will also have member benefits that are relating to, to the mental health space, For example, you might have a meditation app or a connection, healthy eating services, fitness centers and gyms that you might be able to get a discount for uh, just by being a member of your your state bar association. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's all really helpful stuff. And I I second that going to the state bar website, I've always found is helpful for resources or just, you know, whatever state you're in, just look up mental health resources. And this month, I think June is actually mental health awareness for males month, I think. So that's super important too. And I hope everyone takes, you know, advantage of these resources. I agree with you that I don't think five is necessarily enough in a year, but it's a start and it'll introduce people who may not have therapy or who have in the past and want to get back into it. It gives a chance to kind of get back into that space. So I do think that's really important. So hopefully our listeners can take advantage of some of those. Absolutely. Okay. Last question. Easiest one. Tell our listeners where they can find you. Um, You can find me on LinkedIn, Richard Rivera. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram uh, at ESQ underscore RR. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate the conversation. I think our listeners will too. And I wish you all the best. Oh, thank you, Montana. All right, listeners, we're going to take a quick break. And once again, we will be back with Julie Marrow for Pop Law.
This episode is brought to you by the American Bar Association's Young Lawyers Division. Starting a new career in the law can feel overwhelming. The ABA YLD provides resources, CLE, and a network of peers from coast to coast to help you settle into your new legal career. Claim your Young Lawyer membership for just $75 at ambar.org join. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. Good morning, Julie. I am so excited to get back into some pop law discussions. Good morning, Montana. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Julie Marrow, and this is Pop Law, where pop culture meets the law. Montana, how are you? Oh, I am good. It is Saturday. It is sunny outside. I am, I'm in a great mood. What about you? Good, good. It's good. a little gloomy here, but that's okay. <laughs> well, good. Snow. Exactly, exactly. So tell me about this uh, Madison Square Garden. I guess it's, it sounds like there's some issues with people who have sued, sued them before. Yes, if you are a plaintiff's lawyer who also likes to attend events at Madison Square Garden and Radio City Music Hall, you're in trouble right now. So shortly before the holidays, MSG and uh, the Radio City Music Hall, the Beckham Theater and the Chicago Theater, they're all owned by the same company. And they put a ban on plaintiff's lawyers who are involved in any litigation with any other companies. And you think, okay, well, that that's probably a lot of lawyers. Well, it wasn't just the lawyers, but it's really anyone who works at these law firms and in these litigation departments, and it affected over 90 law firms in New York City. Oh my gosh. I know, that's a lot of law firms, and I'm sure they're not small. And you think <laughs> right before the holidays, so you have people who've bought tickets to see the Rockets or see Chicago or whatever it is for the holiday season. Now, all of a sudden, they can't go. And the um, this all sort of got brought to light because of an attorney who wasn't aware of the ban yet and went in and was respectfully but told to leave because they have this face recognition software. Mm-hmm. And that's really where the the um, controversy with the ban started and has remained because it's like, is that too invasive and it's weaponizing technology is the term that the plaintiff's lawyers have been using. So you went through the holidays and these plaintiff's attorneys and several attorneys at their law firms were not able to go to any of these venues. And so the state of New York... And the liquor licensing board got involved and were threatening essentially to revoke the liquor licenses at these venues if the company, Madison Square Garden and their um, sister companies, um, upheld the plaintiff's lawyer ban. So there's been back and forth. I think around December, um, a judge really questioned the ban, said it was ridiculous. And so then that was appealed with this involvement with the liquor licensing board coming in. And in February and then in March, they basically, MSG had big wins and 
the court said, you know, it's you're a private company. If you choose to not allow certain patrons in, you're essentially permitted to do so if it's not discriminatory uh, on a civil rights basis. And then they also said that the liquor licensing board was basically overstepping their authority threatening to, I think there was a big Rangers game one night and that um, really stirred some things up with the the possibility that they weren't going to be able to serve alcohol there, which as we all know is a big revenue maker and so generator. So um, it's interesting. I I mean, it it isn't really discriminatory from a civil rights basis as far as I see. No. but that, I think, from what I read of the end of March, beginning of April, that that's going to be the new argument. And you think, like, if you allow, if a court comes in and says, no, you, you have to let them in and you can't discriminate basically based on their profession, does that open up a whole can of worms for organizations and entities that are made solely more so for specific groups? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That seems interesting to me. And I guess like my question is, one, how do they actually keep track of all these people? Like that is a lot of firms and that's a lot of people. How do they know if you're actually part of that? And then does it impact people like if they're working in IT? Like what if it's an IT person? Are they banned because they work for that firm? I mean, it's just it's very interesting to me. And I also wonder if that's going to be, you know, if those firms are going to face repercussions, if people are going to stop applying to them, knowing that they're banned or, you know, how it's going to work out. But it just it seems very interesting to me, a little bit in a little bit intense, maybe. Yeah, it's a little strange. Yeah, I'm not. And I don't think it's general employees. I think it is just attorneys and then okay. their families. I, I guess their family members could go without them. But yeah, that was my question because they said that it was, I don't think the woman when this initially started was even in the arena more than 20 minutes or so before she was asked to leave. They found her knew who it was like, um, you know, flagged on their system. So I don't know if they have gone through everyone's headshots and saved them. <laughs> But that was my question, too, was how did they recognize her in the first place? But They have, like, the do not let in board with, like, all the black and white photos of these people who aren't criminals. Yes, right. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, my That's goodness. Funny. Yeah, exactly. But, Most wanted at the MGM. Oh, gosh. Yeah, but we'll have to watch. I could see this being one of those things that just sort of goes away. But I'll definitely look into it every so yeah. often and see if Keep- there's an update. Keep me posted. And I definitely meant to say MSG, not MGM. I have my mind on Vegas. So, Oh, yes. MGM, MSG, it's all the same. It's all the yeah, right, literally. Well, interesting. Well, thank you. Keep us posted. Okay. Thank you for listening to Pop Law, where pop culture meets the law. We'll talk to you next time. Listeners, that is our show today. I want to thank you all for tuning in. And once again, I want to thank Richard for joining us to discuss a very important topic. If you like what you heard today, you know where to find us and please refer us to a friend. Until next time, I'm Montana Funk and you've been listening to Young Lawyer Rising, brought to you by the ABA Young Lawyers Division and the audio professionals at Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. 
and me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.